Hey everyone and welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. On this episode, we're going to be diving into episodes 248 through 250, which will be covering manga chapters 352 through 358. And this is going to be a slightly longer podcast as we dive into the flashback of our resident blue-haired pervert and the legend of the Tom's Workers. So, synopsis, as the CP9 investigate Frankie as to the whereabouts of the plans for Pluton, we get to hear about the history and background of Iceberg, Frankie, and their legendary shipwright master, Tom, as they work together to save Water 7 from collapse by designing and building the sea train while they try and fend off the world government's attempts to get the plans for the ancient weapon. Alright, so differences. Uh, Most of the differences here are more due to sort of just rearranging or just slightly tampering with the the series of events as to when the flashback occurs and when it ends. So the in the anime, the flashback actually begins slightly sooner than it does in the manga, and it also gets broken up with the scenes from the present. Like, randomly we get to see Zoro getting washed up which isn't in the manga at all. And I talked a little bit about this in the spoilers from the last episode. But in any case, we'll talk more about this when we actually learn what happens to Zoro later on as he gets closer back to the uh, Galila company. And then also, the f- so in the manga, the flashback actually happens after Frankie gets ra- you know wrapped up in the barbed wire from Khalifa. And then right when he gets captured, that's when the flashback ensues. But in the in the anime, it happens a little bit sooner before that, and we get to see the barbed wire whip portion in the middle, as for some reason the anime wants to break those up instead of just going straight through the flashbacks like we've seen in the past. We then get scenes teasing the flashback, even though we're already about to see the flashback in its entirety. So for like the latter episodes, we see <laughs> different flashbacks of the flashback, which... I never understood why they did that other than to just buy more time. And the other big change that they made was in the final part of the flashback that was teased earlier in episode 244, uh, that part where Iceberg finds out Frankie was still alive and he gives him the plans to Pluton. That is missing here as that was originally a moment that is supposed to be in this flashback at the end, but because it happened in 244... It's not here at this moment, but instead we're actually cut back to the present and that's when the reveal for Spandam happens as he is shown to be the leader of CP9 now. So yeah, a lot of confusing uh, changes in terms of uh, chronology and sequencing, but for the most part, it stays pretty faithful to what the manga was trying to get at. It's just a lot of rearranging of scenes to ultimately, I think, just sort of break up the pacing and also... Uh, slow the pacing down. Alrighty, so let's get into the episodes themselves and my thoughts. So the episode picks up with a bang as Frankie is pissed with the CP9 for beating up on his sisters Kiwi and Mozu and immediately rushes Bluno. And something interesting happens here as Frankie seems to actually test Bluno's tech guy. You can clearly see him being slightly pushed back and off balance from Frankie's punch. And not only that, but Frankie kind of overpowers Bluno as... He picks him up by his face, just like Luchi did to Luffy in the last episode. Bluno is clearly struggling as he gears up for a Shigan on Frankie, but Luchi stops him as they don't want Frankie dead yet. But this is a clear indication that Bluno was getting a little desperate and resorting to just straight up killing Frankie to save himself. 
That's a lot of, to unpack there as we finally see that Tech Guy isn't impenetrable and with enough brute strength or force, it can be broken through. The other thing to note here is just how strong Frankie is. He's definitely no pushover. As we saw, he was able to somewhat go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Luffy, but he was actually able to affect their Tech Guy where Luffy and Zoro were unable to even budget. Now, does this mean I think Frankie's stronger than Luffy and Zoro? Absolutely not. I think both Luffy and Zoro were off balance and their goals weren't straight up fighting and they were also caught off guard and off balance for most of that interaction. So I do think that, you know, once Luffy and Zoro are able to regroup, that they'll also be able to be, you know, to get through Tekkai. However, even with that strength, Frankie is still no match for Luchi's strength. Though as he seems to be on a completely different level, com even compared to the other CP9 agents, and in the scuffle, it's revealed that Frankie's workshop is actually where Tom's worker's shop was actually located in the past, and Frankie's been keeping it safe all these years. We then head into a flashback as we finally get to see the backstory of Frankie, Iceberg, and the famous Tom, which we've heard about quite often now at this point. As Frankie is getting his own flashback, it's all but a certainty that he is actually going to be the one joining the Strong Hats later on when this arc or saga concludes. In addition, as we will later go on to find that Tom was the one who built Roger's ship. And it would be a good bit of symmetry if his apprentice, Frankie, was the one to build and maintain the next Pirate King's ship, which is Luffy's ship. And all the pieces are starting to fall into place and things are really starting to make sense with all these pieces that Oda has actually been laying out thus far. I mentioned this in a prior episode before, but I just love the way Oda has laid out the story of Water 7. As when we start, it's nothing but chaos, mystery, and confusion. And as the reader or viewer, you know, I felt so helpless and restless because of how off-kilter he makes you feel. And then the slow reveal of all these things and pieces of information, it slowly makes the picture come into focus as the arc progresses. And it's such a satisfying feeling that it instills in you. It's actually quite amazing how he accomplished that by setting all these things up but not making the payoffs all that obvious until they actually start to combine together with all the other aspects. And once all the different and seemingly unrelated things start to reveal themselves, the bigger picture starts to come into focus. And it's such an amazing feeling when you start to really like put all the dots together. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself, so let's dive into Frankie's flashback. We start by going back more than 18 years into the past when Frankie and Iceberg are in their adolescence working as Tom's apprentices. Iceberg is still a very serious and straight-laced worker, taking his job very seriously, whereas Frankie is often seen as the more irresponsible and erratic one, building all these dangerous battleships, dubbing them the Battle Frankies. I think one thing that immediately jumps out to me is just how serious Iceberg is here. You know that as an adult and mayor of, the, of Water 7, he takes his job seriously and is very upstanding and well, a well-respected man. However, one thing you don't see at any point during this flashback is Iceberg's trademark childishness. And this is just my interpretation, but it's almost like Iceberg adopted some of Frankie's more laxed and childish nature after he found out that Frankie had died and felt bad for being so hard on him as they were growing up. Even going so far as to adopt Frankie's pet-loving nature with Iceberg, immediately adopting and caring for Tyrannosaurus Rex, similar to how we will see Frankie really caring for and training Yokozuna. And I just love seeing all these little things show up, you know, upon rewatch, because this isn't really something I noticed when I first read through, or even my, like, seventh or eighth. This is something I kind of, like, noticed now upon this rewatch. And, you know, obviously that, you know, that, that can be, like, 
been interpreted in a different way, but this is just how I see things now. Anyways, while we're introduced to Iceberg and Frankie's contentious relationship, we are then finally introduced to the famous Tom, and he is a hulking man, and surprisingly, he's a fishman too. This wasn't something I expected. And this is only the third instance of a fishman we've seen, and technically the first non-antagonistic and civilian fishman, unless you count the reformed Hachi from his cover story. But up till now, they've all been pirates with Arlong and his crew, as well as Big Pan from the Foxy Pirates, so it's a nice change of pace to see that not all fish people are bad. We also see that between the three of them, and a younger and slimmer Kokoro as well as a smaller Yokozuna all live together as a family. Now, I don't think it's ever explicitly said, but I'm pretty sure that Tom and Kokoro are a couple. And the other thing is, this kind of leads you to think that maybe the reason Kokoro looks so weird, especially her mouth and teeth, is because she's also either like a fish person or like a half fish person. Because she doesn't seem to have any other overt fish-like traits like all the other fish you know, people do. It also explains her seemingly close and friendly relationship to Frankie, as she basically helps raise him and is like a mother figure to him. Kokoro then goes on to explain to us the hard times that Water 7 has been experiencing. Now a lot of this has been referenced or alluded to thus far, but one thing I want to highlight here is how she frames it because of the Great Pirate Age, and that much of the trade has been hindered and thus causing a lot of economic hardship for the citizens. And this is something that the story doesn't focus on too much, is how indirectly the pirate age has been hurting regular people. Pirates are obviously romanticized in this story and are seen as cool, but aside from Luffy and a couple other pirates, they are in fact a nuisance and dangerous for most people. And that's a concept that we often forget about and not really focused on, obviously because Oda is telling a story about where the heroes are the pirates, but it's not always just about, you know, overt and hostile aggression that pirates have shown like Arlong, Kuro, or Buggy, but more so the other sort of intangible ways that they've been harming society. Moving on, I like Tom's philosophy here to Frankie about how ships aren't inherently evil or good, and it depends greatly on how they're used, but whatever you make, you should be proud of what you make. Obviously, we will go on to see that there is a lot of nuance to this as we see not only in this flashback as well as when you apply this to real life. But the part I really like and try to apply to my everyday life is the general philosophy that no matter what you do, do it with pride and do it to the level that you'll be proud of. Now obviously, whatever you do, there are consequences for designing and making dangerous things. They can be used for terrible things and there's the famous story of J. Robert Oppenheimer, the man who played a large role in creating the atom bomb that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki during World War II and how he would go on to regret that. But even that, there's a lot of nuance to whether even the atom bombs were justified which can be directly related in how the ancient weapons and Pluton can be seen in the world of One Piece. Obviously, I'm not going to get too far into the whole... Uh, ethics of using the nuclear weapons during that time but you know there is there is a lot to be unpacked throughout all of that and I do like that One Piece kind of references that a little bit while still being a story for you know young young kids and, and teens. As a quick side note Tom's quote where he quotes a man should be resolutely proud of a ship he built end quote there's a little something lost in translation here because I feel like there is some important significance and emphasis that's lost here. So in Japanese, Tom says, 
or directly translated, a man should pump his chest out with a don. Or more properly translated, a man should be proud of the ship they build with a boom. That word don is a comic book sound effect that Oda often uses when highlighting something impressive or revealing something magnificent. You've probably actually heard it in the anime whenever you hear that single big drum boom or don. And I mention this because I think by making Tom's saying with this particular wording, he's really trying to emphasize just how proud Tom is of what he builds and what he wants his apprentices, particularly Frankie, to approach shipbuilding and life with, with the utmost confidence in whatever he does, do it in a way that he can ultimately look back on and be proud of it. Some short time passes, and eventually Tom's past catches up with him as the world government has come to put Tom on trial for building Goldie Rogers' pirate ship. Interestingly, we finally get to learn the name of Rogers' ship, and it was called the Oro Jackson. And as far as I can tell, there's really not too much behind this name other than Oro being the Spanish and Italian name for gold. And maybe Oda is also a Michael Jackson fan? I I don't know. (laughs) But... Yeah, for his involvement in aiding Roger in his quest to become the Pirate King, Tom is sentenced for execution in some place called the Ennius Lobby, which whenever I hear this, I always think of the Nintendo Entertainment System. (laughs) However, Tom presents the judge with a proposal that he is currently building a sea train that would save Water 7 and the surrounding islands, and thus buys himself some time to build the sea train with the added condition that the train would also be connected to this NES lobby. With that, he buys himself 10 years of probation to build the C-Train. In the next scene, Frankie is pissed that Tom has to be punished for doing something so amazing, and we get a throwaway line and scene of how Yokozuna swims with the front stroke crawl. And the funny thing to me is, we know how, but we don't still yet know why. (laughs) Like, why does Frankie want to train Yokozuna to swim in a crawl fashion? There's also something really inspiring to see in One Piece characters when the mentor characters will see the good in people and give them a chance no matter what kind of outward appearance or persona they show. One of the best themes in the series is how you can't judge a book by their cover and what really matters is what kind of person they really are at heart and when the chips are down. It's probably one of the most prominent traits that Luffy himself possesses when it comes to how he judges people. And similarly to how Iceberg and later to most of the citizens, how they all see Frankie as this sort of erratic hooligan. But Tom sees a kind person with a lot of great passion and great potential. And instead of forsaking him and labeling him as a troubled kid, he takes him under his wing and molds him to harness all of that. And just to kind of take a step back, I can't emphasize how huge this lesson is when it comes to how we label people, especially kids. We see someone and label them immediately and treat them a certain way, and that in turn can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Instead of taking the time to understand the person, we treat them a certain way, and pretty soon they pretty much mold themselves to that perception, because why fight against that, you know? That's how, you know, that's how things happen for people. You put them in a box, and they kind of just eventually accept that box. For example, if we take young Frankie... And if someone had a viewpoint like Iceberg where they treated Frankie like a dangerous nuisance and kept reinforcing that, eventually that's all Frankie would know and he'd become that dangerous hooligan. Instead, Tom, a patient mentor, took the time to understand Frankie and cultivate the great aspects of Frankie, which is his talent, his skills, and his passion, and he grew to become a better person. 
This is why having good teachers is so important, and I praise all those awesome teachers who have the skills to be patient and do that with kids in real life. We then see a montage of the Puffing Tom, the sea train, being completed with its maiden voyage showcased. And fun fact, at minute 21:28 of episode 248, you can see a young Polly in the front, second from the left, in addition to Panda Man in the crowd in the back in the upper right corner. Also, the two young girls that stick their heads out of the window at 21.43 is a young Kiwi and Mozu, Frankie's adopted sisters, before they get their square hairdos. And there's something really emotional seeing the Tom's workers all relieved and celebrating the completion of the train, especially Iceberg breaking down in tears for having completed everything. It's a really emotional scene, I think. And I always really like that shot. Some time passes and Tom is then visited by who has to be one of the worst human beings and the most annoying characters in the series. There are certainly a few people worse than him, but he's up there. I mean, he's really annoying. And the man I am, of course, referring to is Spandam from the CP5, who is here to investigate Tom, not for the case of involving Roger and the ship, but for the blueprints to Pluton. Tom obviously plays dumb and says he doesn't know what he's talking about. And a quick note, Spandam is played by a veteran One Piece voice and legendary voice actor, Masaya Onosaka, as he's played both Chu and Shamu in the past, but he's also famous for playing Vash the Stampede in Trigun, Love and Peace, and Momoshiro Takeshi from Prince of Tennis, two of my favorite series. If you haven't seen either of them, definitely check them out. Getting back to the story, Frankie has further improved his skills and also the lethality of his battle Frankie ships, going so far as to be strong enough to take down a Sea King, which is an interesting fact as they just drop that. Iceberg obviously reflects how the rest of the society feels about the Oro Jackson and Tom. And it's really interesting how Tom's two apprentices seem to lean a little stronger towards each aspect of Tom. Iceberg seems to reflect Tom's incredible skill as a shipwright, while Frankie is an amazingly skilled shipwright in, in his own, Frankie has more of the heart and spirit that Tom possesses when it comes to shipbuilding. In a flashback within a flashback, we learn how the world government came to want the Pluton, and it's because Spandam went to the Gorosei to tell them about these ancient weapons and how they need to gain control of them before anyone else, particularly he's got intel on some pirates sniffing around them, and even though this takes place eight years prior, I can't help but think he's kind of referring to Crocodile here, who was probably in the early stages of researching and planning out his schemes, which he would later put into motion in Alabasta to search for Pluton. But I'm sure Spandem couldn't do anything about him because his protected status as a Shichibukai at the time. The Gorose do agree with Spandem and have him find the plans first before they do anything else. Because of the impending danger that Tom senses because of Spandam, we then see Tom explaining to Frankie and Iceberg the Pluton and the plans, and then entrusting them with it, as well as explaining to them the danger of Robin. Cut to the following day as the judicial ship arrives once again after 14 years to resume the sentencing for Tom. It seems things are going to get a happy ending, as the judge is impressed with the sea train and is prepared to acquit Tom of all of his crimes, but just then... We know that in One Piece flashbacks, nothing ever gets a happy ending. And the ship is attacked by a fleet of battle Frankie ships. And this is really where you start to really hate Spandam's guts. As you discover it was his doing to frame Tom for the attack, so that he has an excuse to take him away to be investigated. 
the crazy thing is, this isn't even the worst of Spandem, because I swear to God, at the end of this whole saga, you are going to hate this guy with every fiber of your body. This obviously shocks and horrifies Frankie. Tom and Iceberg see this and quickly run to stop what's happening, but it's a trap as Tom and Iceberg are ambushed by other ships before Frankie can even arrive. For me, just thinking about this moment is gut-wrenching because you can see it from both perspectives. You really feel for everyone, and I don't just mean the three Tom's workers, but the citizens, the Marines, and the judicial staff as well. Everyone was hurt that day by Spandam's greed and vile nature. And it's so infuriating and sad to see Tom laying there wounded for a little bit, and you don't even know if he's still alive or dead at this point. And since this is a flashback, he could easily be dead here. However, what's more gut-wrenching is Iceberg's reaction, reaction to Frankie, as he's initially furious with him, but ultimately, while it was Frankie's ships, he knows that this wasn't Frankie's wish and that it wasn't his wish that any of this happens, but it was still ultimately Frankie's responsibility that led to this tragic turn of events. And for that, all Iceberg can do is yell at Frankie. And I'm so conflicted because Iceberg is right. Their skills as shipwrights have the ability to bring into the world very dangerous weapons, and it's their responsibility to wield that great power with great responsibility, to quote Uncle Ben uh, from Spider-Man. However, as we will see, the other seemingly conflicting but ultimately complementary theme that merely existing isn't a crime, no matter how much potential you have for danger. And so, you know, Frankie wasn't necessarily inherently wrong here, but I do side with Iceberg kind of here that Frankie should have been more responsible and at least secured his incredibly lethal ships more tightly. Then to cap it off, Iceberg yelling at Frankie that if Tom gets taken away that he will never forgive him really hits hard. However, the effect of this scene is somewhat taken away because in the anime you have already seen the scene of Iceberg meeting Frankie once again afterwards. Because in the manga, as I mentioned in the differences section, you don't see this scene till the end of this flashback, so you're still left wondering what their relationship is like in the present day, and you still think that this is what ended up causing that huge rift between them even to the present. Even though Iceberg still entrusted Frankie with the plans, you still don't quite know where they are in terms of whether they're still on talking terms, whether they still hate each other, and it's not very clear until you see that scene. But unfortunately, you've already seen it before you've seen this flashback, so this moment doesn't quite hit as hard in the anime. Of course, Spandem comes in with his annoying, smug-ass face to arrest them and bring them before the judge as if he was the hero who caught some dangerous criminals. And I don't know about you, but anytime Spandem is on screen, I just want to punch his face. Um, with them being framed for the attack on the judicial ship, Frankie can no longer bear it, and voices his regret for ever making those ships. And in a sudden change of tone, Tom breaks out of his restraints and punches Frankie insanely hard. Iceberg indicates that throughout all of Frankie's bad or erratic behavior, Tom was always loving and patient with him, but this is the one line that Tom doesn't want Frankie to ever cross, and that is to never denounce the ships that he builds, and that building a ship is neither an act of good nor evil. It doesn't matter what kind of ship he continues to build, the one who created it must love them no matter what they're used for. Don't blame the ships. They should be proud of their ships with a dong or boom. This scene always gives me chills, especially the way Tom's voice actor Yasuo Muramatsu delivers that speech. 
Tom then does what all of us, including Frankie, has wanted to do ever since this character was introduced, which is punch his face as hard as possible. And that's what he does to Spandam, like just knocks him on his ass. And unfortunately, it's not as satisfying as it could be, given the way things turn out. Tom, though, to his credit, is a very smart man and decides that he might as well get his money's worth before admitting to the crime of attacking the judicial ship. But in exchange for building the sea train, he wants to use that favor for the charges for the attack to be dropped instead of aiding Roger. Once again, Tom delivers another really powerful declaration as he is in fact proud of helping Roger with a dong. Obviously, we know that he probably liked Roger and was more than happy to help him in that we have a good idea that Roger was pretty much like Luffy and anyone that came across him probably was more than happy to help him on his journey. Once again, before Tom passes out, we get another inherited will moment as Tom leaves his duty of protecting the Pluton blueprints as well as his dream of saving his beloved city of Water 7 to his apprentices, carrying on the theme of One Piece of each potential and current Straw Hat member carrying on the inherited will of their master. And at this point, it's all but a certainty that it's going to be Frankie who is the one who's going to be joining the Straw Hats. I mean, I don't know how you can see it any other way. He's pretty much got every checkbox marked off. Anyways, with the judge being an honorable guy, he honors Tom's wishes and releases Frankie and Iceberg as they're getting ready to take Tom away. Kokoro is doing her best to quell their anger and keep them under control and also explain the situation and the might of the world government. But keep this moment in mind for later as it's kind of impactful in the next arc. Unable to stand the sight of Spandem mocking and kicking Tom's body, which, I mean, I'm pretty pissed about that too. Frankie goes on a rampage and just fucks up Spandem's face with the butt of a rifle. He doesn't even bother firing it at him. He just goes full-on baseball bat swing and dents his entire face in. This hit was pretty satisfying, but ultimately Frankie has to run as he can't take on an entire Marine Battalion and the CP5 at the same time. However, as Spandam and the CP5 are taking Tom away in the Puffing Tom, Frankie comes back to stand on the tracks firing bazooka shots at the train to try and stop Tom from being taken away. But ultimately it proves to be useless as he's left just trying to stop the train with his bare hands, but ultimately gets hit. In his final internal monologue before being hit, we hear the reason for Frankie not building ships anymore in the present day and focusing more on dismantling and salvaging. But we start to see what his dream is, adding more fuel to Frankie being a straw hat becoming really obvious. He, like his master Tom, wants to build a dream ship that can sail around the world like Tom did for Roger. And after hearing that, it's so clear as day what Frankie's role really is. Frankie is obviously going to build the new ship for the next future Pirate King, aka Luffy. Hearing this is freaking awesome, and upon this realization of how all this is going to fit in is amazing. Like I mentioned earlier, I love how everything kind of just snaps in and you come to these like realizations. Although we still don't really know how he and Frankie will make up, given the last time that they saw each other, they wanted to beat the living crap out of each other. But I'm fully on board with Frankie joining and I can't wait to see that development between Frankie and Luffy develop more. Another thing to note about this scene is that Yokozuna is present for this moment of seeing Tom taken away and Frankie getting run over by the sea train. When you take a step back and think about things from the very beginning of Water 7 about how Yokozuna crawl swims every day and trains to take on the train 
And when you put two and two together, it hits you like a bolt of lightning and it becomes so sad and such an emotional thing. Yokozuna isn't just some stupid belligerent animal doing something randomly destructive. He was there that day to witness his father get taken away forever and his brother get struck by that very train and could only sit there helpless and watch it all happen. Yokozuna trains so hard to be able to stop the sea train because he wants to ensure that never again will that train take away or hurt the people he loves anymore. When you think about it like that, you're just like, oh my god. And, and just in sheer awe of the storytelling and writing here, but also like how sad that is. I mean, you're just, you feel so bad for Yokozuna at this point. Like, how the hell did Oda give such incredibly compelling character development and motivation to seemingly random side pet characters? It's just truly amazing what Oda does in his story and how he rewards his audience for their patience and attention to detail in his story. Like, how is it that this random frog that you thought was a joke at the beginning of the arc come back to be such a sad and compelling story all on its own? I mean, it's truly amazing. Lastly, in this set of episodes, we come back full circle and find out that the man leading the CP9 is none other than Spandem, who's obviously been promoted from CP5 to CP9 to finish what he started all those years ago to get his hands on those plans, setting up the logical payoff for Frankie's story later on down the line. And I always love how the Denden Mushi mimic their speakers' faces and emotions, but I love in this moment it captures the diegetic sounds as well, so when Spandam burns himself and drops a cup, as you hear it shattering through the Denden Mushi, the face of the Denden Mushi goes blank and just kind of like, you see the mouths flapping. It's a small but really funny detail, and I love how they added that in the, uh, in the anime, because you don't actually see that in the manga, obviously. And fun fact about Spandam's present-day design with the leather facial mask after Frankie busted it in. It's well known that Oda himself is a huge wrestling fan, and this design is based on Mankind from the WWE. Funny thing is, in uh, back in 2015, Mick Foley, the man who was Mankind, tweeted out, quote, gimmick infringement? Not knowing anything about One Piece, but after a few people responded to that Twitter thread that Oda was actually, in fact, a huge fan, he actually changed his attitude and actually, uh, called it a cool tribute, which is a nice little fun fact there for you about the character design. But yeah, that brings us to the end of these three episodes. And one of my favorite parts of One Piece are always the flashbacks, as they contain some of the most emotional moments and compelling characters. And this flashback was no different, as it not only served as an interesting backstory to Frankie, but we learned even more about the world government and just how evil they really are and can be. But yes, let's see how things unfold from here now that we pretty much have all the pieces laid out and we can finally get back to the story and see how things will unfold. But yeah, if you did enjoy this, send me a like or comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Also check out my Instagram and Twitter account at SunnyGoPodcast if you want updates of when I post new episodes or see some pictures of my manga collection. As always, I wanted to thank you for taking the time out to listen to my podcast. There will actually be somewhat of a substantial spoiler section because there is a lot to talk about um, how this flashback and everything that happened here kind of relates to the rest of the arc as well as the greater world of One Piece as a whole. 
But if you're not interested in any of those, stay safe out there and I hope to see you on the next episode. Bye. Alright, so spoiler sections. Uh, like I said, there's actually quite a bit to talk about. Um, the first thing I kind of wanted to mention, and all of this is going to be pretty much unscripted. It's mostly my thoughts and ramblings like usual. But I think with Tom's philosophy on ships and how they aren't inherently good or evil, and it all depends on what's done with them, this theme from Frankie's flashback relates so well with Robin's flashback, and they complement each other because... Robin's flashback is basically saying the same thing, but when it comes to people, that people aren't inherently, their existence isn't necessarily being good or evil. And that with Robin, especially in the people of Ohara, like their knowledge isn't necessarily what makes them evil or good. It's what they do with that knowledge that eventually is what determines, you know, what kind of person they are, or what kind of ship they are. And both of them come to the same conclusion while Frankie eventually puts his faith and trust in Robin and thus he burns the Pluton plans because he now trusts that the, the the Straw Hats and Robin will not use her abilities to reawaken the original Pluton for evil. And so he has no need for Pluton's plans anymore. And that's why that scene is so significant of him, of both the Robin putting her trust back in the Straw Hats as well as now Frankie putting his trust in the Straw Hats and Robin, it all comes like full circle. And that's why these two like flashbacks are so amazing. Like this, like Water 7 and NES Lobby, this entire saga is so damn good because of how well it's so structured and, and just the payoffs are just so damn cool. Anyways, I yeah, I really love that symmetry between their two flashbacks and how their stories relate to each other. And then obviously there's the whole um, act of Tom taking in the hooligan Frankie as a kid and saving him, giving him the skills and a future, which is what Frankie eventually goes on to do later with the other hooligans in Water 7 with the Frankie family by creating this sort of structure for those troubled youths I sound like an old man, but uh, in, you know, in Water 7 and giving them a home and giving them a purpose kind of leads them away from a life of crime and a life of, you know, a bad life, essentially, and gives them sort of a home. And while they still do have that sort of rough reputation, Frankie's ultimately trying to help Water 7 in his own way, while Iceberg does it from like a more upstanding and front facing way Frankie's still doing the same and carrying on his will or Tom's will to help Water 7 by helping its youth just like Tom did and like I mentioned in the the non-spoiler section both Iceberg and Frankie kind of carry on different aspects of Tom's will and I love that they both also carry that on while you know eventually later on going on to see that Iceberg stays behind in Water 7 to keep the, the, the sea safe or keep the city safe and keep it growing while Frankie goes on to build the Thousand Sunny 
and eventually sets sail with Luffy to become the Pirate King and build the dream ship, just like Tom did. And so Tom eventually does both. But uh, I love that his two apprentices kind of carry on the, the two separate parts of his will. The other thing I wanted to kind of talk about is just how quickly the people kind of turn on Tom and the underlying aspect of racism towards the fish people, even at this point, is very apparent. Now, this is something that's not really all that explored quite yet, not until we get to um, Sabodi. But yeah, you know, one thing I always hear about people when they see this part is just how irrational the citizen and the public reaction is to Tom and just how, like, how can you possibly think that Tom is an evil person after he basically slaved away for 10 years to save the city, build this sea train, and has basically shown nothing but kindness and goodwill towards everyone, and yet instantly they just turn on him. And I think a lot of that is not so much because of just how, you know, how irrational or just plot contrivance the the citizens of Water 7 are. I think it's ultimately just that inherent layer of racism towards fish people which it has been shown later on through Sabodi, through Fisherman Island, as well as Reverie or Levely. And yeah, you see that permeate through the entire society of One Piece. And I'm sure the, the quick turn is because, yeah, a lot of these people have one foot out the door already and into the sort of the racist sort of viewpoint. And they're so quick to turn on him because they're kind of looking for something to turn on him, which is really unfortunate. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that's pretty much what how you can explain why these people just irrationally just turn on him so quickly is just that inherent racism that that you know people have towards fish people. And then lastly, I kind of wanted to talk about the um, Kokoro's words to Frankie and Iceberg about how going up against the world government is impossible and that there's no escape or coming back from the NES lobby which will lead greatly into the significance of how Frankie puts all his trust in the Straw Hats later in that epic face-off moment. And yeah, you that scene where Kokoro talks about that and kind of drills into Frankie's head about how impossible it is to go up against the world government and that there's no coming back from the Enyas lobby. But in that moment, when Luffy and the Straw Hats are all doing their face-off with Spandam and the CP9, with Robin and Frankie still being held captive, Frankie, even in that sort of like dire situation and almost hopeless situation, he actually goes against Kokoro's words and actually puts his trust in Luffy and the Straw Hats and Robin. And when you think about that moment and you see that happen, it's it's such a like cathartic moment because... Like at that moment, it's like, okay, Frankie, you are a straw hat. Like you're going to be a straw hat. And it's it's so freaking awesome to see not only, obviously the big moment is the I want to live moment from Robin. But I think what gets lost is the the moment after that where Frankie then decides to burn the plants to Pluton, thereby not you know, destroying the backup plans to go up against the Pluton if it ever was resurrected. But the only person that can do it is Robin. And he puts enough trust in Robin and the Straw Hats 
that he feels that he doesn't need the plants to Pluton anymore because he knows that Robin and the Straw Hats will never use the Pluton for evil deeds. And yeah, I love I love everything about Enyaslavian Water 7, as you probably well know. This is my favorite arc um, and saga of the whole series, Up even, even up to where I am in Wano. It still has not been topped, in my opinion, just how amazing the moments are, how well the storytelling is. But I'll, I'll talk more about that when we finish the whole saga. But yeah, I love how all of this stuff culminates in so many great moments later on. Anyways, that's pretty much everything I wanted to talk about. This episode's already long enough as it is, so I'm going to wrap it up here. But thank you for listening, and I will see you on the next episode. See ya!